uh, we're going to continue on in, in the series in the book of Acts. And so, uh, you know, I think this, this, this series has been really just helpful for me and just a reminder, just the greatness, uh, the powerful of our powerful God. And, you know, as, as we kind of titled the experiencing the greatness of God together as a community, I think today I, I wanted to focus, we're going to look at Acts 3 and part of four. And so it's going to be just a story in three, but then I think it continues on. I wish we could go through the whole thing, but I know it's, I have already seven pages of notes and I don't want to go too long for just these small pieces. Right. Um, but the title of it, I'm thinking as, as I've been praying is a big God, you know, the greatness of God, a big God. And then this specific way is that a big God and what we'll see in this, as we look at this narrative, Three things that I hope to, for us to see and kind of be reminded of. A big God that uses our deepest struggle and pain as a testimony of his power and grace. Our deepest struggle and pain as a testimony of his power and grace. <clears throat> hope to see that in this passage and how our God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. All right, and lastly how he uses one transformation to impact the larger community. That it's not just one person, but it impacts the whole community. And that's what we're going to see today as we look through Acts 3 and really hopefully kind of get glean out of this, how you can understand and see just a big picture, a picture of a big God in your life. All right. So let's look at this Acts 3 verses 1 through 10. Okay. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him, them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Right? This is a, a beautiful story and one that really stands out to me of just, <clears throat> it gives me so much hope in, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of, of just feeling hopeless. Right? And what you see here and what I <clears throat> want to first point out is, th is this the deepest struggle and pain as a testimony of his power and grace, right? You see this man that was lame, right? He was lame from birth, right? And what's interesting is if you read onto the story, right, in the Acts 4, it tells you his age. Right? In Acts 4, it says, for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old, over 40 years old. So from birth into 40 years old, this man was lame, was crippled. You know, I think this is something we wanted to step back and think about. You know, I think in today's time, you know, it might feel a little different, 
right? Even when I had uh, six months or a year ago, I had gout or just like light gout. I don't even know if there's such a term as light gout, but I know my ankle was hurting, right? And I know that even in that little amount of time, I was like, oh man, this is hard to walk around. It's painful. I'm scooting around. I'm thankful that I'm able to drive from one place to another. I'm even thinking about John, you know, John, your hero, who's, who you sometimes see with a scooter right now because he ruptured his Achilles, right? And without that, imagine how hard it is to get from one place to another, right? And in the time back then where the only mode of transportation primarily is on your feet, right? There's no cars, there's no handicapped parking. It's just, you have to get from one place to another. There's no Uber, there's no lift to deliver food to you. This is a man that was crippled and lame for 40 years. Imagine his daily struggles, his years of pain, perhaps from days to months to years to decades. And I think that has set in for him as perhaps what I would say, what we could see in between these verses and in, in between the lines of this passage that he lost hope. This is a man that perhaps lost hope. And what I was saying is this, is this, when he's, when he's asking, number one, the first thing he does is he is asking for money. He's not asking for healing. He's not asking him to be, to be transformed. He's just asking to survive. He's asking for finances to perhaps help him to eat, to sleep, sleep a place, wherever it might be. And he's asking at the temple gates, right, where people walk in and out. Right, number two, I think what, what really shows is this, that he perhaps lost hope, is that he doesn't even look up anymore. He doesn't even look at the people that walk past him. He's just there asking for, for help. Right? You can see a man that perhaps has gone through just immense suffering and pain, that he's kind of given up looking at people eye to eye, perhaps asking them, hey, can you help me? This is a man that <clears throat> I would say felt hopeless. You know, what's interesting is this. What's interesting for me when I look at this is I compare it with another person in John 5, right? During Jesus's time in John 5, verses 5 to 7, right? Jesus encounters a man that's invalid, that's crippled for 38 years, similar to this man, right? In a certain length of time. And he says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Right, but it's, it's interesting how this man responds. He says, sir, I have no one to help me into this pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. The backdrop of the story is that there's this pool, right? Pool of Bethesda. It's nearby where in the circle, sorry, it's a little hard to see, right? The top right corner, right? That's, that's where this supposedly this pool was. And in the story is that every so often this water would stir. And when it stirred, what, would, what people would see sometimes at, at different times is that there would be miraculous healing. And so people would actually wait out there waiting for to see that opportunity and perhaps be healed, right? You compare and contrast this man to this other man that Peter and John met, who's in front of a temple, 
courts, the entrance of it. Right? I, I want to say that, you know, when I was thinking about this, that this is a man that really has lost hope. He's not waiting near the pool, perhaps where he can get healed, perhaps where he's seen or heard of miraculous things. I wonder even perhaps, has he encountered or heard of Jesus walking by or Peter and John going into the temple courts? Have he ever asked, maybe, just maybe, my life could be different. I can be healed. I'm pointing that out because I feel like the, the more I look at this passage, I think about a man that's hopeless, that just wants to get by, that isn't encountering, isn't waiting to encounter this amazing God, but really is just, how do I get through life, right? It says he was at this gate every day, right, where he was put to beg from those going into the temple courts. He was there begging and asking. You know, I, I think about this because I wonder, and I know perhaps for each one of us, there may be times where we might feel hopeless, where we might feel overwhelmed by the circumstances, the relationships, whether it's our family, our spouses, our friendships, our siblings, our career, our finances, that we may feel, I don't know what to do, overwhelmed. But more so than that, as that goes on, perhaps even feeling hopeless that God won't come through, that I prayed this for so long. I've been waiting for you to speak on this. But Lord, where are you? Where are you in this? I think this is a question that we ask, is that why would God let a man linger in his sufferings? Why would a man, God let a man linger in his sufferings? For all these years, whether it's the, the John 5 or even here, but what I see in the story as you take a step back is this question that is <clears throat> answering that question for me is what if, what if the Lord allowed this man to experience decades of hopelessness for the sole purpose of revealing his love and power in his time? What if the Lord allowed this man to go through experience these decades of hopelessness for the sole purpose of revealing his love and power in his time. I think that is one of the amazing things that the, this power and testimony of God's miraculous ways and his sovereign plans is that what we see is this man, he was healed. He was praising God. He was jumping and joy entering into the, into the temple courts. And likewise, <clears throat> I wonder for any one of us, I don't know what many of you may be going through at times, but I think that we will all encounter certain periods of times perhaps where we feel the same way. Maybe not to this degree, and maybe it won't get easier even if we know this, but I think that there's some peace that we could cling on to when we know that God has a purpose and a plan, that nothing is beyond him. And I want to ask this, is that are there areas in your life where you feel like you lost hope, where you feel that God hasn't come through. And tied to this question as we think about this, is how does his silence make you feel towards him? 
How does it, the silence make you feel towards us? You know, I think this man, as he was begging and not even looking, he was not expecting. But what is interesting, what you see is that God encounters him at this time, at this place that he's there, and that his life is transformed. All right, in the story, it says, <clears throat> Peter and John, Peter takes him by the right hand and he helps him up. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. Now, what's interesting here for me is that what if he refused to take Peter's hand? He says, don't touch me. You know, what are you doing? I can't walk. Why are you grabbing me? I think this is similar to that question that Jesus is asking. I think this is a question in the heart, question of what we're going through at times when we feel hopeless is, do you want to get well? I'm not saying that that's going to, it's all about us and how it is. No, but I think that at the moments when Jesus is there, when God is encountering us, how do we want to respond? I see this man, he grabs Peter's hand at least. He allows him to help him up. And then instantly, not beforehand, he could have just said, get up and walk. Just like the way that John, um, in John 5, Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk. But it wasn't. It was until you picked up his helped him up, and then his instantly, his ankle and his feet became strong. I think this is something that just, just is one that when I've been thinking more and more of just how amazing could that be for this man? Of just taking that step and seeing God move in his life, seeing his ankle and his feet become strong. I think that gives me hope, especially when there's, when I feel hopeless. And I share this, I'm going to share this story. And I know many, many of you have heard this and I, I feel bad because I was thinking, praying and saying, God, is there something else I could share? Because um, it's the same one that I keep on sharing, but I can't help it. I can't help it. I was, I was um, at a family night movie at Joel's school and uh, preschool. And then there's a, a movie night outdoors. And, you know, I've been praying about different, different, past, different things to share. But, you know, I, I think we were watching this movie, and was, I just felt the, the spirit kind of move in my life a little bit of just this. We were watching Sing 2, okay? And I'd never seen it. I haven't even seen scene one, okay? And I was like, oh, maybe I should watch it, All right? And it's, it was good. It's good. I'm not going to give away the spoilers too much. Um, but I will tell about one character, right? one character uh, you know, he's, he's a man that's lost his wife, and then he went into recluse for 15 years, and, you know, they're looking for him, and he was this great musician, and so he comes on at the very end, and, and then he sings, he sings, you know, he goes into, and they finish this finale of this, um, this show that they have put together, right, and I don't know what, what got me, and it was, I'm glad it's kind of dark, I'm not afraid to cry, but I don't think even no one saw it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Let me just wipe this really quick when I had. But, you know, I don't know what got, got me, but it was just like, man, I just started tearing up. It's not I don't even have the same story. But I'm, I, I don't know. I think grief kind of hits you at different times, different places, different scenarios. And I realized, you know, for me. 
okay, that the grief is still there, you know. Um, <clears throat> I, lo I lost my father two and a half years ago from cancer, and I... <clears throat> I share this story because I, I feel like, you know, there's some of you I don't know. And, you know, for most of my life, I've always wanted to have a, a, a real tight and I don't know what, it, what you call it, a real good relationship with my father. You know, you know I, this is 1988, okay? Uh, you know, a father-son night. And this was when he passed away. This is one of the first pictures I went home to grab. You know, I wanted to, to have that for myself. But, you know, for, for most of my life, from 10 years old until and onwards, he lived, I lived away from my dad. And my mom, I lived with my mom, my siblings. And, you know, he decided when, he, when we immigrated here, he had opportunities from a company here to send them back to Taiwan. And, you know, for him, he thought this is a great opportunity. This is a way to provide for the family and, you know, give us opportunities that he always wanted uh, that he didn't have a chance to have. And, you know, I think even as I think about this, I think about his life. And, you know, as I, we moved into our new house, we had our carpets being done. I think about him, even at random times like that, where for the piece or a period of time, he, he was a part owner in a carpet company, installing carpets, right? But his passion, his desire was to be a civil engineer. And, <clears throat> You know, even when he got his master's, you know, he, he always wanted to, to do something big. And so when he had an opportunity to go to Taiwan and, and, and build and be a part of a larger project, he decided to go and also provide for us. And from then, that point forward, I really never had a, a deep relationship with him. I would only see him every six months for two weeks. And of, that, of those two weeks, perhaps one of those weeks, which I understand now as I get older, he would want to spend with his friends, see his friends, talk to them. And so we would have maybe about a week to spend. And even among that, probably very little to spend between him and I, right? And throughout this time, I know that, you know, I, I looked at this one letter that he wrote to me in response to my letter to him. But that he mentioned that, you know, he always, he had a, he envied the fact that I had this opportunity to choose and that, that I had I had opportunities ahead of me that he felt like he wished he could have, or that if he had, he didn't have the resources to take. And so when I told him that I was going to, when I was thinking about going into vocational ministry and not to become an engineer, he was, he was upset to say the least, right? He decided he, I remember even telling him that when I was going, uh, when I was, we were on a trip to China and it was a family trip. He was touring, he gave us a tour of the places and wanted us to see all these different things. And I was praying, when should I tell him? I didn't wanna tell him the beginning of the family trip because that would ruin the whole trip for all of us, right? I didn't wanna tell him the middle, but I didn't wanna tell him the last day where he didn't have time to you know, process or for us to talk about. You know, so I was praying, God, give me a time. And then even when there was a time, I was like, oh, I'm gonna share. And then it's like, something happens and I couldn't. But suddenly there was an opportunity that he was showing me the skylines in Shanghai. And, you know, I was, he was showing me the river, the, the, I forgot, the bend. I think that's what it's called. I need to look at Alan. Um, 
Yeah, that's right, right? He was showing me the bend and, um, you know, showing me all these things. And I remember I mentioned to him, Dad, I'm, you know, I'm finishing my degree. I want to go into, I, you know, I feel God's been leading me into ministry. And, you know, he was said to me at that time, you know, he said to me, just know that when I close my eyes to this world, I will be disappointed in you, right? And I was just, I was stunned, you know, I was stunned that he would say that to me, <clears throat> especially even finishing the things that he had asked me to finish, my grad studies, you know, even in the past, he's like, when you finish this, you can do whatever you want. And I was like, okay, all right. You know, and I, I, I finished it. I, I thought I wanted to do it. But, you know, more and more, the way that God drew me into ministry and into the church, I felt like this is where I wanted to go. You know, I felt like this is where God was leading me. And because of that, when he, you know, during the end of this trip, it was the last two days of the trip, he stopped talking to me. And then from that day forward, and late, little did I know, it would only thankfully be eight months that he didn't talk to me at all, right? <clears throat> Every time I called him, he would just hand the phone. He heard my voice. He would hand the phone to my mom and, you know, and just, just kind of leave it as is, you know, he even tried to make it more difficult for, for me because we had a, a condo in Baltimore that we, as a family purchased together. And he thought I lived too privileged of a life. You know, I had a house provided for me. I didn't have to work that hard. And I said, no, I didn't. I paid for this small portion of this house and I always have been paying market rent I haven't been going below market and just kind of taking advantage of their finances but he was saying you know what your brother needs his his portion back you know we couldn't we I put he, he, my parents put in 40 percent of the down payment my brother put in 40 and I put in 20 right and he's like oh your brother needs it he's gonna buy a house and I'm calling my brother my brother's like oh I don't need it you know, and I'm just like, what just happened here? But he's like, yo, your brother really needs the finances. We need to just sell it. And that was like at the down at, at 2012. So at the probably the lowest part uh, of the housing market at that period. And, you know, I was thinking, what should I do? What, what am I going to do? He wants me to sell it. Should I just buy it off? How, should I sell it? What should I do? And I remember thinking, oh, well, it's the lowest of the market. I should just buy it off of him. And if it, if it was all fair, I would just buy at the lowest what the market value of is right now. If you're going to sell it, you're going to sell it to anybody and you want to sell it now, I might as well just buy it, right? And, and if I bought it, they would lose finances and everything else. And I was just like, oh, what am I supposed to do? And, you know, he wasn't talking to me. He was threatening me in a certain ways. And, you know, I remember telling my brother and my sister, hey, talk to dad. It's okay. You don't have to talk to me. You just at least keep in communication with him, be on his side. Right. It was, it was all because I remember reading uh, and spending my time in scriptures and praying about this. And I, I hit this Proverbs 3. You know, a lot of times we memorize the latter part of this Proverbs 3 verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. This is like a memory verse that we have in, in our at Stepping Stone and our discipleship. But I remember reading this first part, and it just, it just really spoke to me. Right? Proverbs 3, I, I know even someone has given me a, 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 just this verse framed, and it's you know, something that I treasure. It says this, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. 
Then you will win favor and a good name in the, in the sight of God and man. I remember reading this and giving this understanding that that's what I needed to do. Instead of selling the house or buying it at a lower value, I'm, I will pay whatever they have paid. And on top of whatever the deposit, I will look at the accrued interest if they have paid, put it into the best bank accounts, the savings account, and if they didn't invest at all, what would they have gotten? And in that way, I was saying, okay, that's how much we would pay you. Thankfully, Jenny agreed to that. But we decided to do that. We decided to pay back, you know, their, all their investments and just say, hey, you know what? We're thankful for all the support and this is what we're going to do. And, you know, we're not, I don't want to take advantage because I think oftentimes it's easy and probably the most natural to respond like in likeness, right? If you're upset at me, I'm going to be upset at you. If you do this, I'm going to do that. If you threaten me, I'm going to threaten you. I remember reading this and just re being reminded, and I know how hard it is. Even today, it's hard. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. What would that look like in my life? And that is what we decided. We decided to pay, pay back my family, give them interest on top of that. And at the end of that, what was interesting, you know, is that my dad had nothing to say. He was surprised at what, what we decided to do. That he wouldn't, you couldn't even add, see, this is what I mean by this, or whatever it might be. But that at the end of eight months, randomly, he says to me, he says to my sister to tell me to call him and say, I'm sorry, and he's ready to talk to me. And even then, I was like, no, I can't be calling. Why am I calling him to say sorry? Right? He stopped talking to me. But this verse, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Even when I'm upset, even when I'm angry, to live in this way of let love and faithfulness never leave you. I remember doing that, and somehow at the end of eight months, when I apologized to them, we started talking. And over those, <clears throat> after that, about eight years of time, I was able to open up more and more about vocational ministry, what I'm doing and share and just have a relationship with him. Then in 2019, you know, this is a long tangent in the story, 2019 19 Thanksgiving, we were supposed to all go in California and, uh, and celebrate Thanksgiving together. And that's when my, shortly before that, a month before that, my dad went to the ER. We weren't sure what was happening, but that was when we were confirmed his cancer diagnosis. And, you know, we decided, okay, we're going to all, oh, we're going to meet in Texas. And then we decided all to change our plans, go to California to see him then. And even as I visited him and was trying to talk to him, I think at that moment in time, he just stopped talking about really about life and about anything else. You know, and I felt more and more like, what is happening? I can't even share about God, I, you know, before we left, my brother-in-law was like, hey, can I, can I share with you about Jesus? He says, no, no, thanks, Lawrence. And he, and he says, I'm not interested. You know, after Thanksgiving, Christmas comes around. And by then he told us on Christmas Day or right before, two days before, I think, that he's, he decided to go to California uh, because at that time he realized that this only hospice care. And he said he wanted to Go to Taiwan, that's where he wants to be at to go through hospice care. And I was really upset again that I was in Maryland and in Philadelphia at that time. And he didn't even consult, he didn't even talk to me. 
he just said, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, thankfully, again, Janie and her parents, they're like, just go back. You know, I, went, I flew back to California. I bought the ticket the next day, and I flew back home for a few days. And, I, again, I got to spend some more time with them. You know, and it's just harder and harder as I spend that time with them and realize, man, that, would, would that be the last time I see them? You know, for 20 plus years, I've been becoming a, a Christian. I've been praying for my dad here. You know, and there are times where I lost hope, where I stopped. You know, I remember praying and just thinking, okay, maybe I'll share with him over Christmas, over New Year's. And as I did that, he said he's not interested. And I just, uh, you know, just felt defeated. Felt defeated as what will happen. You know, finally, fast forward, <clears throat> there's, he went to Taiwan and, you know, his health deteriorated and we had a retreat here and I'm thankful for, I'm always thankful for this church. You know, I was supposed to speak at the retreat and then I got the flu and at the, at the retreat and I couldn't do anything there. Um, <clears throat> the people were giving me food and just said, stay in your hotel room and don't get anyone else sick, you know? Um, and thankfully pastor Mike spoke at the retreat at the last minute. I don't know how he does that, but <clears throat> you know, we, I got, I got through the retreat that was Friday to Saturday, Sunday. And then on that Wednesday, my flight was to Taiwan and this is in 2020. All right. So this is right when COVID was starting, things are starting to close. And thankfully I was able to have my fever come down. Cause you know, when you walk through these airports, especially in Taipei, they have this infrared screen right next to you when you walk in and if you're hot it, it beeps and you have to be taken to the side and just this is not like southwest where you fly and you just get in and you go wherever you want to go well there's the infrared it's just like i was like oh please please let me get through customs and i remember i finally i got through somehow right well thankfully i didn't have covid either at that time but i got through i got to see him and i was there in taiwan for five days and even the first day when I went to see him, it's a two-hour, it's a two-hour uh, train ride to where the hospice is. And I went to see him. Oh my, it's ten thirty. Um, I went to see him, and you know, to, to kind of, I went to see him, and then I, I was talking to him, and he was, he was open, and his spirits were high, and he was talking to me. But I was thinking, oh, I'll talk to him another day because it's too hard. It's too hard to talk to him right now about Jesus. I've been praying for him this whole time. But the next day I went to see him and then his heart, his health deteriorated even more. And I was just like, oh no, what did I do? I missed this. Um, but at the very, the, the third day, the third day I decided the next day after I was like, I'm just going to speak to him about it. I'm going to ask him. And out of nowhere, I was like, dad, are you interested in hearing about Jesus? And he was like, yes. I was like, what? I wasn't even sure what I was saying. I was like, what just happened here? I didn't know what I was if that was true or not. And then I spoke to him about that. I asked him if he'd be interested in and in wanting to, <clears throat> to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And he said, yes. You know, and I remember my sister flew in the next day and I was like, guess what? I don't believe it. You know, and I was like, are you, he's like, dad just accepted Christ. And she, she's like, what? Are you sure? You know, and I was like, yeah, yeah. can you ask him? right? Because <laughs> can you confirm it for me? Right? And then, you know, she talks to him and he, and she's like, yeah, he did. 
All right. And I was just thinking, oh my goodness, this is crazy. All right. And this is a picture that you guys have seen in the past of him in the hospital at the very end. All right. We went to visit it. We saw him. But I think what's amazing, and I think some of you guys have seen this, is after I arrived back to the States, after five days, I flew back to the States. There was this uh, a, a man, he was the son of one of my dad's really good friends who also went to kind of the college that he went to in Taiwan and stu studied engineering just like my dad and <clears throat> decided to become a pastor. And I remember him deciding to, out of nowhere, reading scripture and he's like, oh, I should go visit my dad. You know, his, this, he calls him an uncle, right? I should go visit him. And he calls his family. They live two hours away. They take a train specifically that weekend to come down to see my dad. And I called right at the right time. And Jenny's behind me in the small picture. I was just calling my sister. Hey, how's dad? You know, but it was at that moment that she's like, oh, this pastor came and he wants to baptize dad. And I was like, what? You know, it's like, should we allow him to do that? I was like, we don't even know him. And I was like, yeah, no, no, let's do it. Let's do it. Ask him and then see, does dad want to get baptized? And, you know, my, and, and that's whole thing I was talking through my sister and I was like, yeah, if, if dad wants to, for sure. And I remember going through that video or, or that, that video call and just seeing that happen. And that was, you know, to me, what I remember just when I read this passage for those who have been hopeless, who feel that this is beyond hope, beyond transformation, that there is no hope, that this is an encouragement. I remember hearing this from my advisor in my, in my grad studies who shared with me he, that his dad came to know Christ at the very end of his life too. And as he shared that to me, I remember thinking, oh, that's just him. That can't happen to me. But I share this again and again to encourage and to give hope to those of us who feel perhaps hopeless in whatever circumstances, whatever situations, that our God is a big God and that he can use the smallest things, our deepest and painful struggles to become amazing testimonies of his power and grace. I'm gonna hurry up <clears throat> as we finish this a little bit. I wanna just mention this as we think, this man who was carried to this temple gate called beautiful. I think this is so interesting to me is that he's outside the temples, but this healing that happened was not just a physical one. Right, we see him able to walk, but what is probably more important is this restored relationship with God. You see this, that then he went with them into the temple courts, what he was not allowed to, what he was, hasn't been doing, perhaps, walking and jumping and praising God. I want to mention this because I think the healing is not just a, a physical, but one, physical one, but rather also a spiritual one, restoring their, this broken relationship, perhaps this lost hope 
just feeling abandoned by God in ways that now he feels loved and known. I think we have the same. That he sent his son to die on the cross. That we were all once far away from God. That as he sent his son, it wasn't just to give us a new life, but rather to restore us with this, recon- <clears throat> with this relationship with him. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says it in this way. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconcil- reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in, in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. I'm skipping 20 just to keep it shorter. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I think it's beautiful in this Old Testament, what you see is this not only of a a healing of a man that sometimes we just take in and say, oh, well, he was healed. But rather what we really also should see is his restored relationship with God. That when Peter says, silver and gold, I do not have, but the name of Jesus, I could give that to you, that you can walk. That he was jumping and praising God at the end. I hope I highlighted that. I hope I highlighted that how our deepest struggle, whatever you may be going through, struggle and pain could be a testimony of God's power and grace. But I also want to highlight this. How ordinary people, how God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. Right? It goes on in Acts 4, and part of it, what I think is interesting in verse 13 and 15, it says this. Like, <clears throat> when they see the healing, they grabbed Peter and John, they, they brought them into this. He give, they give messages, which uh, <clears throat> Alan will talk about next week. But it says this, that when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. There was nothing that they could say. But they recognized that these men were unschooled, ordinary people. I think about this because how often when we think about being used by God, is it God Make me or help me become, train me, get me, give me the giftings to do X, Y, Z. How often is it focused on us versus focused on God? Be extraordinary. Be amazing. Do your will. Do Reveal your power. How often are we praying for God to be extraordinary and not for us to be extraordinary? Are these men, it says they were unschooled, ordinary, but what hopefully stood out is this, that they also recognized, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I just want to dwell on that a little bit because I think this is so important for you and I. How often are we recognized to have been with Jesus? Are you recognized when they realize, wait, I can see how Jesus has been so ingrained and part of your life, not in a religious way, but in a relational and a powerful way that they've seen God 
move in your life where they, say, where they would take note that you were with Jesus, that you encountered God, that you spent this time. I think this is what really stands out to me, right? It stands out that it's not so much about what can I do, but rather what can God do? I remember when I first became a Christian in college, not knowing the scriptures at all, and I haven't read much. You know, I remember, God, what can you do with me? What, what, do you, what am I going to do? I remember there was times where <clears throat> at that time it was like, oh, you could join the breakdown team. And I was like, okay, sure. You know, like I could lift a couple of things and I could drive people to church. But who knew that those little steps would allow me to get to know certain people, will allow me to see people that took their faith seriously in ways that spoke about just the way that this is, that I can see that there's something different in their relationship with God. Right, throughout my high school, I've known Christians that Monday to Saturday, they live the same exact life, but the Sunday they go to church and instead I go to get dim sum with my family. Right, everything would be exactly the same, but that would be the only difference. But here was when I would start, and this is why Stepping Stone has such a <clears throat> place in my heart is because that's where I met people that took their faith seriously in ways that spoke about their relationship with God, not in a way that's this far away God that happens to be there, but a personal, real God. And that, though, that's what tra the tra trajectory that helped me and I think God used in transforming my life. Who knew years later that I would be preaching or standing in front of you today? That would be impossible if you told me 25 years ago that that's what would happen. I think it reminds us that ordinary, God uses ordinary people. Not necessarily someone that's amazing, that has all things together, but ordinary unschooled people. I think the question is, do we want to be used? Do we want to see God move powerfully? Do we ask for that? I'm going to hurry up and finish the last one. It's mentioned at seven pages. This is the last one. How God, a big God that uses one transformation to impact the larger community. Right? Again, oftentimes we see this. This man, we put ourselves in the story and we think, oh man, this man, he's, his life was transformed. He was lame. Now he's walking and jumping, praising God. His life would never be the same. And that's true. But I want to take a step back and just realize all the people in the story. Right? It's the people that recognized him and were filled with wonder and amazement at what has happened. They've seen him. They know him. They, they know of his struggle. And they've seen and they were blown away at how God moved in his life. It says in Acts 4, and that story is, is many who heard this, the message. This is Peter giving the message about the healing and about the gospel believed so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Think about this. That one man's transformation, the way that God moved in one man affected at that time from what Alan was preaching to now 2,000 more people at least 
This is only the men. I don't know if there's women, children, whatever. But there's 2,000 more people that then believed in the message that had their lives transformed. Not only that, you know, it says that all the people were praising God for what was You see, it wasn't just so individual. You know, when, when we go through it, when we're asking God to transform our lives, that when we see it, that's going to change and that's going to be great. But rather, it's, there's a bigger thing, a bigger plan, a bigger picture that God wanted to impact this whole community, that the people that were transformed, that believed, were praising God for what it had. You know, I think... <clears throat> I actually think there's two other groups of people that are unmentioned, but really stood out to me. One was perhaps this group of friends, right? It says that from this man was lame from birth, was, was being carried to the temple gates. He was being carried, so he couldn't get there by himself. But he was being put every day to beg. So someone's group of people, one person, I don't know, some group of helped him every day to get from where he was to where he needed to be. I, I believe that the, this group of people were part of the people that saw and were amazed and wondered by God. You know, they're not the ones that could have taken him to the pool of Bethesda, asking and waiting for this, the pool to stir. But I believe that when they, they perhaps have lost hope for their friends in ways of healing, that their lives perhaps were changed. I don't know. It doesn't say in scripture. But there's another group that I want to just end with, right? <clears throat> it says when they, it says the next day, the rulers, when they heard the message and elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem, right? So there's people that hear of this, that the rulers, that teachers of the law, and it says when they saw the courage of ordinary, but since they could not see the man, but since they could see the man who had healed it, they couldn't say anything. So they ordered them to withdraw the Sanhedrin and they conferred together, Right? Um, just kind of go. What's interesting is that Acts 15 later on, it says this. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up, right? And they were talking about this, about what was required. But what I really take away from this is that I actually think that this was, this man's healing probably started so the seeds Somehow the Pharisees, the people, the rulers, the teachers of the law started to question and think and understand. I think that's the one I want to bring up is in God's bigger plan. How do you respond? How will you respond? How do you want when you see God move in other people's lives? Will you be amazed and in wonder? Or perhaps like some of the leaders, they asked them not to preach anymore, but you reject it. I think his plans are bigger. And not only does it impact the, the person, but it impacts those all around him. And I hope that what we see here is something that just opens it up of how we can see that a big God uses our deepest struggle and pain as a testimony of his power and grace. And how you can use ordinary people like you, like me, to accomplish extraordinary things. Do we desire that? Do we want that? And as he transforms your life, my life, that is not, doesn't end with just our lives being transformed, but rather 
being sent to a larger community all around us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for passages like these that give us hope, that give us strength. When we feel hopeless, when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel lost, when we feel you've been silent. That it shows us, encourages us, that you are never far, that you've always been there and you will continue to be. Help us to trust in you, Lord, to take that hand in the way that this man took up Peter's, Lord, to be lifted up and instantly healed, Lord, in ways of seeing in those moments, Lord, may, they, may we treasure, may we cherish, May we see, Lord, how there's hope in you, how you have given us a way, how you have given us a new life. And so, Lord, I just pray, Lord, I lift up this time to you. I pray, Lord, for those perhaps that feel far from you. Lord, I pray that, Lord, that you would show them how near and how much you love them. For those who feel hopeless right now, I pray again that they would feel loved. Lord, I, I pray that these songs that we sing at this time of worship and prayer responds to you. It's not a formality, but Lord, a dwelling in your presence, Lord, a desire to encounter you, Lord. Meet us where we are. We're thankful that you are God that does and so Lord may you take our deepest struggles and our pains and may you make it beautiful in your grace and your plan in Jesus name